mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Pico Iyer is the author of The Half Known Life in Search of Paradise. He is the acclaimed and best-selling author of more than a dozen books translated into 23 languages. His journalism has appeared in Time, The New York Times, The New York 
Review of Books, The Financial Times, and more than 250 other periodicals worldwide. In fact, this book, this is just me saying this, but I've been reading about this book everywhere uh, in all the newspapers lately, so you can just probably Google it and read all the latest reviews. It's like everywhere. Anyway, his TED Talks have been viewed over 11 million times. He divides his time between Japan and a Benedictine hermitage in California. Welcome, Pico. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest book, The Half-Known Life in Search of Paradise. Thank you, Sibi. I'm really so honored and happy to get to see you. Oh, you too. Tell me a little bit more about this book. There's a quote that is in the beginning that I just wanted to read, and then I want you to take it from there. He wrote, after years of travel, I'd begun to wonder what kind of paradise can ever be found in a world of increasing unceasing conflict and whether the very search for it might not simply aggravate our differences. How did you resolve this? And tell me about the book. (laughs) You can probably almost tell from that beginning of the sentence, uh, this book came out of the pandemic. And what you may not have known, even though you've read the book, is that just 20 hours after lockdown was announced in California, my poor mother, who was 88, was rushed into the hospital in an ambulance because she was losing um, blood very, very quickly. And of course, I couldn't visit her in the hospital. But as soon as she came out, I flew on three different flights from my little apartment in Japan. And I was with my mother for the next six and a half months at a time when everybody in the world was stuck and death was very close to us and grief was very close to us. And so I was thinking, just as I write there, life is always going to be tough, whoever we are, wherever we are. How can I find what calm and contentment I need right here in the middle of this difficulty and in spite of it? And also because I was spending six and a half months in one place, which I usually don't get the chance to do, I was thinking back on 48 years of constant travel, thinking what exactly does paradise mean? And sometimes, to speak to the second half of that sentence, are thinking about paradise or dreaming about paradise or imagining it's in the past or in the future or on the other side of the globe actually gets in the way of appreciating where we are right now. And I think probably everybody listening to our conversation will understand it when I say, even though the pandemic was making so many things impossible, it was making other things possible. It it reminded me of what I really cared about. It made me look around at my family home and see how much beauty there was there. And every day when I woke up, I was grateful. My mother was still alive. I was there. My, my wife was healthy. And, you know, so often I take so much for granted. And the pandemic actually reminded me of how much to be thankful for. As it did for many people. And it's so important to hold on to that. I feel like everyone's like, oh, remember in the pandemic when everything was so important and such clear focus and we knew what was important. And now it's like, oh, well, I've got five meetings and da 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 da. You know, it's, it gets lost so easily. So it's good yeah, to- exactly. Yeah. And sadly, it's usually only challenge that suddenly makes us remember what yes. is important to us. I was actually traveling often back to Japan during the pandemic. And of course, travel was never calmer than at that time. And now, as you know, travel's never been so crazy because all of us are making up for lost time and trying to cram uh, two years of pandemic dreams into two weeks. So you're right. We so quickly forget. Yeah. And also, as you wrote in the book, we can stop thinking about death until we have to think about it nonstop, right? It's so easy to just shove that aside. And then when you're dealing like you were with your mom and my mother-in-law and grandmother-in-law, 
passed away of COVID actually. And um, my mother-in-law was sick for six weeks and we were in charge of her care. So anyway, everybody was like, oh, how's your COVID going? And it's like, well, not so good. You know, it's so when you have to deal with it, it's there. You think about it nonstop. And then other times you can just be blissfully unaware. So I don't know. I think there's some people who never have really had to deal with the loss of someone super important to them. And I don't know. It's it's just a different, you know, different uh, well, yeah. way of uh, approaching the world. So anyway, you, you referenced I'm, I'm, that really well. I'm so, so sorry to hear about, uh, about your loss. I mean, um, I, as I said, I was lucky I didn't lose anyone through COVID, but um, yeah, that's terrible. Uh, you remind me, I think E.M. Forster, the great English novelist, said something like, death destroys us, but the idea of death saves us. In other yes. words, I think living so close to death made many of us think, how do we really want to live? And probably mm-hmm. you experienced that even in the middle of that terrible tragedy of, of losing two people. I, you know, I have an advantage over you because I'm much older. So, you know, I'm in the autumn of my life. So I think more about death, but I do spend a lot of time with monks. And I think one reason I do is that they teach me how to live and they teach me how to love. But the other is they're always preparing. They know that mm-hmm. nothing lasts forever and they're devoting at least a little bit of their day to thinking about that. And sometimes I think how most of us will spend a lot of time preparing for a job interview, or even a driving test or, or a date, but we don't prepare for the one thing that's sure to happen. And I don't think one needs to when one's young, but certainly as the years go on. Yes. Very true. I really appreciated your your passages about uh, the Dalai Lama. And actually, right, so I'm opening this bookstore next in a couple of weeks, and we were putting, we were alphabetizing all the all the books in the store, and one is by the Dalai Lama, and we were like, is this under L or under D? I don't know. Like, what? Where do we do? Where do we put Dalai Lama? It was so funny. So anyway. I love that. I have the same problem with my address book. Yeah. <laughs> Talk a little bit more about about that part of the book. So the Dalai Lama is really, I think, at the center of this book, partly because I've been lucky enough to spend 48 years regularly talking and traveling with him. And recently, 10 times I traveled across Japan with him, right by his side for every minute of his day, had lunches every day, sat in on all his private audiences. And I really feel part of what he has to offer all of us is that he's a master realist. You know, he's been in charge of his people for 83 years now, since he was a small child. So he's not interested in faraway notions. And I remember once actually I was sitting in on a private audience with him and a Korean gentleman was visiting and the Korean gentleman got so excited. He said, your holiness, you can go to the pure land, you know, to heaven. And the Dalai Lama looked at him very kindly and said, I don't want to go to the Pure Land. My job is right here to serve other people. You know, I really think of him as a doctor of the mind. Uh, and so a doctor's job is to be in the emergency room and offer what he can, even though he can never save everybody's life or offer the perfect diagnosis, but to try to help people. And I think the other reason why I have the Dalai Lama at the center of this book is I think we all feel that the world, even though it's more connected than ever, is more divided than ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm so touched that this man, who's probably the most respected Buddhist leader on the planet, delivers long lectures to Christians on the Gospels and tears come to his eyes when he talks about Jesus and the parable of the mustard seeds. And he seeks out counsel from rabbis and he calls himself a defender of Islam. And it just reminds me that the more deeply rooted you are in your belief, the more open you can be to others. And I think that's what all of us need right now because it's so easy to entrench ourselves in this us versus them kind of thinking. It's so true. Every It's so it's the most divisive. I feel like that's why I feel like sometimes books can be that through line. You know, books like yours, books in general, like if we can all literally get on the same page, maybe it will help, you know? 
Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and actually sometimes difficulty can too. I mean, I often think if you or I were walking down the street and we saw somebody fall down, we'd reach out to help her. We wouldn't be thinking, is she black or white, Democrat or Republican, Muslim, right. Christian? Yes. There's something human there. And that's what I get totally. from travel. When I'm sitting at home, I'll think about Iran and North Korea and other places I describe in the book. And I just think about how different they are. Soon as I get off the plane in one of those countries and I talk to somebody, I'm reminded of something we share. They're, they're worried about their kids. They're fretting yes. about the economy. They sound just like my neighbors in California. Yep. Well, emotions. I mean, we're all people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, sounds, that sounds so stupid, but I mean, you forget it when you label when identity means so many different things that you lose the core. So easy to lose the core similarities. That's all. I, I love that because I think it's our ideas or our theories that separate. And as you say, it's our emotions and actions that bring us together. Yeah, our, our human reality. You had a passage about a friend, and I just thought this was funny. You said, my college classmate, Nicholas, the most fascinating friend I made in my student years, not least because he was the hardest to anticipate, would have felt entirely at home in Kashmir. And I wanted to, I just thought it was so funny how you wrote the hardest to anticipate. And what do you do with unpredictable friends? And what has happened with that friendship? And why so unpredictable? Uh, thank you, Zivi. You're the first person who's noticed that sentence and, and that passage. So we were at college together in England. And the great thing about Nicholas was none of us could tell if he was young or old. None of us could really even tell where he came from. None of us could tell. He was a very, very mysterious, enigmatic person. And I think all of us have those people in our lives. And we didn't even know if he was broken or, or triumphant because he was very, very brilliant, but he always seemed sorrowful. And then he disappeared from my life, maybe 25 years. And I was traveling in Australia once and somebody said, oh, you must have been at school with Nicholas. And lo and behold, this brilliant maestro of Latin and Greek when he was a teenager had gone and married an indigenous Aboriginal woman and was living in the heart of Aboriginal Australia, which couldn't be more different from very cultured Europe where he had grown up. And so I was intrigued and I began seeking him out. And it was just a really good reminder that in that pulsing red dirt interior in Australia, where there's almost nothing there, it's just desert, there's something as holy as in Jerusalem, where he had also been spending time. And, and I like the way you alight on that sentence, impossible to anticipate, because I think that's what I feel when I'm in Jerusalem or in the middle of Australia. There's something going on here so much bigger than my understanding. And I call this book The Half-Known Life, because I feel that if any of us thinks about the biggest moments in our life, when we fell in love or when we lost somebody we care about, when we're moved to tears by some beautiful scene, when a virus suddenly arrives on our doorstep, none of that can we explain. And I feel our lives are determined by what we do with what we can't understand. And mm. we concentrate on the stuff we do know, but I think that's very small in the larger scheme of things. So Nicholas is somebody I will never know, and the world he inhabits, I can't begin to penetrate. And that's what makes it fascinating, I suppose. Wow. That was beautiful. I love that. All the things we cannot know. And that's really. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Amazing. So you have done so much writing. This book, so many other books, TED Talks. Like you, you're, you're out there talking and teaching and helping. What is it inside you that like has led you to this type of life? Why, why keep sharing? Why keep trying? Why keep going with, with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I remember as a little boy, I thought, my goodness, I belong to the first generation in history who can go to Tibet or Antarctica. My grandparents couldn't have imagined that. My parents grew up in the age of ship travel. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the whole world is open to me. And also, I grew up you know, in England and California. So one of the relatively rare people uh, who, who has the means to, to be able to investigate the world. And I thought it would be a crime not to try to get the world, get to know the world firsthand, get to know our global neighbors. So that's one reason why I've always traveled a lot. I've, and I, I like writing because even regardless of publishing, that's the way I understand what I'm going through. When I write, it's like stepping out of the world and away from the shopping mall and the freeway into a quiet cabin in the woods and just trying to make sense of everything that's been happening to me the last few days so I can come back out with a better sense of clarity and 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 perspective. And for example, when I wrote a book on the Dalai Lama, again, I just thought, gosh, I'm lucky enough to spend so much time with this man that many of my friends would like to be spending time with. At least I can do is share everything I've, I've learned from him. And um, you know, I'm really grateful to people like you who are championing books and reminding us that books give us something that nothing else can. I mean, even in this great, great age of Zoom and YouTube and where we have so much available to us in the palm of our hand, books take us to a sense of attention and intimacy and nuance um, we otherwise wouldn't have. And I, I know you're a publisher and a writer and a reader, but I'm really glad you're opening a bookstore too, because I think that's a oh. kind sanctuary and it's it's almost like a, a hospital for 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 the soul i mean without mm, us, i think something in us would really really die and so it's it's an, it's an emergency room it's an important thing without which i don't think we can live as fully as we would otherwise i love that i just wrote it down a hospital for the soul i noticed thank you I, that's a just it's just a beautiful way to say that i totally agree and thank you that was nice of you to research me <laughs> Uh, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. It's, it's noted. So when you have spare time, what do you read? Like, what do you like to, what are some of the things you like to read or even movies you like to watch or like what, how do you fill your 
quota of yeah I take I do love movies and uh, left to my own devices I will always see maybe six movies a week in in a cinema it's totally surrendered to the big screen but I do love to read mostly I read fiction I would say because I feel that's what gets deepest inside me Elizabeth Stroud, George Sanders, mm-hmm. Sadie Smith. There's never a shortage of remarkable writers. In fact, I mean, you know this too, I think. I feel we're li- living in a golden age of writing and there are more great writers, including very young writers, than ever before. It's harder to find readers because of all these other competitive <laughs> media. Yes. But there's no no shortage of brilliant writers. And so I live in a two-room apartment with my wife in the middle of nowhere, Japan. And every day I spend one hour reading a book, serious nonfiction or fiction. So I go out and sit on my terrace in the sun, tiny terrace with some sweet tangerines and a cup of tea. And it's amazing. When I come back in the room after one hour of reading, I can feel myself deeper in a better part of myself. I'm not the guy who stepped out at 1 p.m. I'm coming back much more alert and much, much subtler kind of person just because I've been reading something and keeping company. And for all, again, the horrors of the um, pandemic, it did allow me <laughs> to spend, you know, my friends then were Melville and Milton and Proust and many of these writers I hadn't really read since I was in college. And this was a time when I craved that long attention span and the liberation that reading a book gives us. And so that's why this book is full of Emily Dickinson and Virginia Woolf is hovering behind there somewhere. Wow. Well, you and the tangerines. I'll think of that as I like sit there popping chocolate covered almonds. So you, know, like you, have a, you have a much healthier habit. So that's, uh, <laughs> I'll aspire to that. <laughs> what is your next project? What are you doing next? Well, actually, that's a more perfect question than you might have guessed, because I'm just completing um, the companion book to this one. About 31 years I've spent with a group of Benedictine monks in Big Sur, California. So in this book, I, as you know, travel all around the world from Kashmir to Sri Lanka to Varanasi to um, Belfast, thinking about what paradise really means and how we can find it right here, right now. And in that book, it's almost will be the opposite, because I'm staying in one place And the monks in their little walled cloister are living in what they imagine to be a paradise, but it's a paradise of meditation and kindness and community and not needing to travel around the world. So I'm just putting um, the finishing touches on it. And I should stress, one thing I love about that is I'm not a, a Christian, I'm not a Christian myself. And yet I have so much to learn from these deeply good, serious and friendly Catholic monks. <laughs> uh, and it's in my small way of I'm so I'm not a Buddhist either. And I'm so grateful to that in this global world, any one of us can learn from Tibetan teachers like the Dalai Lama, from Catholic monks up the road, from rabbis. I think, you know, again, this is a possibility that my grandparents growing up in India couldn't have entertained. And I think we often take for granted some of these opportunities that, that are arising in us now. And I, when I go into a classroom these days, it's so much more interesting because more diverse than the classrooms I grew up in. And I feel that the younger generation is actually willy-nilly, because they're learning from their friends and, and sweethearts um, about other traditions and other ways of being. So anyway, it's a it's a book about sitting still with the monks. I did write a book for Ted once called The Art of Stillness that came out of like a teaser for this book is it came out <laughs> of my 31 years of stillness. And the amazing thing about every time I stay with those monks, I think what I really learn, of course, it's a beautiful stretch of California coastline, but the biggest teacher for me is is the silence. 
And the silence is not just an absence of noise. It's almost a presence. I, I get out of my car and I can feel something vibrating. And I think that's true of every convent and nunnery and monastery I've been to. And of course, part of the beauty of there being there is there's no cell phone reception, there's no internet, there are no TVs. So it's very undistracted. Every day lasts about a thousand hours. But <laughs> even beyond that, there's something, you know, the monks are working very hard in behind the wall in their cloister to sustain the guests and 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 to pray and meditate. And somehow we as visitors get the benefit of their hard work. And I always come back refreshed. So I've been lucky to travel a lot and take memorable trips, but nowhere so refreshes me and nowhere sends me back home a different person so reliably as going to that monastery. It's, it reminds me of how I take my car in for an oil check every six months, otherwise the car won't run. And this is my personal oil check or recharging station. I mean, everybody does it differently. <laughs> everybody doesn't, but I feel everybody needs it now yes. in this accelerated yes. and distracted world. So you're yes. absolutely right. I, many of my friends practice yoga or meditate or go for a walk and go for a run, swim, whatever it is. So I think without that, we just get lost in this world. Like you were saying, six things at once and many appointments and suddenly whoa, our life is almost over and we haven't grabbed the, the heart of it. I totally agree. Wow. How far are you from... Tokyo. I'm coming to Japan in June with my family. So oh, wonderful. That's a lovely season. They, they call it the sort of very soft, warm rain. I'm I'm in Nara, Japan, so very near Kyoto, the ancient okay. capital. Such is the speed of um, the bullet train. It's only three hours away from Tokyo. I And I ho really hope you'll be going to Kyoto and Nara. And if you are, I'd be love to see you. I, I'm expecting to be there the first two or three weeks of June. Okay. But please go to Kyoto, certainly. Okay. And when you're there, one day... In Nara. And the thing you probably know this, but not everybody knows, Nara was the capital of Japan in the eighth century. And when you go there, it's a town, it's a city of 400,000 people, you know, size of Cleveland or Pittsburgh. Right at the center of town is the biggest park in the whole of Japan. And that park is ruled by 1,200 wild deer who have been there for more than a thousand years. So you go to the beautiful three story concrete and glass city hall. There are deer sitting on the front steps. You check into the fanciest hotel and instead of doormen, there are deer greeting you. They rule the place. They're believed to be God's messengers. So woe betide anybody who gives the deer a hard time. And they just walk everywhere around the center of the town. And the center of the town is its almost what people imagine when they dream of Kyoto. Kyoto is quite a big bustling city, 1.3 million. But Nara, the center of town, is the biggest Buddha in the world in this 8th century temple, shrines, reflecting ponds, uh, groves of wild plum trees. It's, it's, it's very lovely. So I hope you'll put that into your itinerary. I am now adding it. Um, <laughs> my, my, son, my son has been planning the whole trip. He's eight. So we are uh, we're doing a lot of Pokemon things. But yes, Nara and Kyoto sounds wonderful. You will have, it's made for children. Politics people are so kind. And although English is often quite limited there, they light up when they see kids. I've had a lot of friends who visit with children even younger than eight, and they have such a good time. I wonder if you're going to the uh, Museum Ghibli of all the Miyazaki movies in Tokyo. I just went there, and it's great. You know, Spirit oh, of Totoro. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if your eight-year-old has watched Totoro, but... He might enjoy it, and then you get to see the whole museum. Perfect. Okay, excellent <laughs> tip. Well, maybe I'll see you in June. And uh, mm. thank you so much for this lovely talk and uh, and for the half-known life in search of paradise. Thank you. Thank you, Zibi, and thank you for supporting all of us readers and writers. Thank you. All right, have a great day. 
Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.